For the third year and counting, Richard Skipper has been celebrating the artists you love. Richard Skipper is all about celebrating life, art, and his guest body of worth. Please join us while he showcases these diverse and talented individuals. Here's Richard Skipper. Happy Friday, everyone, and welcome to Richard Skipper Celebrates. Who or what are you celebrating today? There's so much to celebrate in the world if we take the time to do so. Today is National Iced Tea Day uh, for those of you who drink iced tea. Uh, it's also National Marriage Day uh, for all of us who are happily married. I toast you uh, with iced tea, of course. And um, it's something else today. Um, uh, let me see. Um, oh, yes. It's Judy Garland's birthday. And all this month we are celebrating. I have some very special people waiting in the wings, and they can't wait to meet you. But before you meet them, here's Judy. It's all about her today. Judy Garland, we all love you. Cheers. Dear, when you smiled at me, I heard a melody. It haunted me from the start. Something inside of me started a symphony. Sing with the strings of my heart. Like a breath of spring I heard a robin sing About a nest set apart All nature seemed to be In perfect harmony Sing with the strings of my heart Your eyes made sky seem blue again What else could I do again? But keep repeating Through and through I love you, love I still recall the thrill I guess I always will I hope we'll never depart But with your lips to mine Oh, brassity divine Sing when the strings of my heart seem blue again what else could I do again but keep repeating through and through I love you love you I still recall a thrill I guess I always will I hope will never depart Dear, with your lips to mine oh perhaps a deed of that at the beginning of every show and I never get tired of it. I want to start today with a little show and tell. Uh, first of all, uh, before I begin, today's a very special day in addition to being uh, Judy Garland's birthday. When I was 18 years old, uh, I had a dream of coming to New York to be in show business. And I bought a one-way ticket to New York and I bought it on Judy Garland's birthday because I thought of the magical implications that that would have. Uh, uh, my parents thought that it was just a pipe dream of mine. 
So they, uh, with all due respect to them, uh, they would not uh, play into this game. So I hitchhiked to the Myrtle Beach Air Force Base. I lived in Conway, South Carolina. I hitchhiked uh, and I bought a one-way ticket for $86.75. And I bought it on Judy Garland's birthday for that significance. I want to share something else. Uh, I live just below Nyack. And uh, many years ago, I was walking uh, along Main Street and I passed an antique store. And as I was walking past the antique store, something caught my eye in the back of the theater, uh, in the back of the store. And it was this image of Judy Garland. And I know what she's singing. Uh, this can't be love, almost like being in love. Uh, I'm sorry about the glare of the light uh, that's catching it. And I went in and I said to the shop owner, I have to have that. And it was very pricey. And I said to him, if I could, you know, I know it will take me some time to pay for it. And uh, he said, well, you can pay in uh, installments until you uh, can afford to get it. And when I went and I came home and I told my uh, now husband uh, that I wanted to get this. And when I went to make my first payment, I was told that it had been sold and that some lady had come into the store and she was interested in it. And uh, so she paid in full and he sold it to her. And, uh, I'm not ashamed to say that this grown man came home and cried, and I couldn't believe it. But on Christmas morning, uh, my husband said, open that one first, and it was this. And on the back, it says, Dear Helen, enclosed are two photographs I took, one of Ruth Gordon, I eventually got that too, and the other of Judy Garland. The details are on the back of both prints, and I hope they will be of some value to you at the auction. Much, much love to you, Roddy McDowell. And these hung in Helen Hayes' home. And they were sold at an estate sale. And I got them. And they're both mine. And that's my connection that hangs in my dining room to Judy Garland. So I am going to let Danielle. Uh, so we're going to have to keep scrolling up until I, until I can see this. Judy is now on the floor. But Danielle, pick a number, one through five. And we will bring up our first guest because there's a guest behind each of these doors. And uh, as soon as I see the number, I will bring on the first guest. Now, the number that I pick, uh, the word that I pick for today is thrift. And it has a positive connotations because everyone that's on the show today has a love of Judy Garland. But we do our love, not necessarily for the money that comes with it, but because of our love of Judy. And there is a connection with each and every person that's here. And I can see that uh, Danielle's number is going to be popping up any second. And the number that she picked is number five. And as soon as he gets settled into a seat, I can see you, David. I'm going to bring him on screen. And this is David Fantel. And I love... You know, the social media, Facebook, has a somewhat negative connotation these days because there's a lot of negativity out there. But every once in a while, magic comes along. And in the case of uh, David Fandel, it, I have to say, uh, because it introduced the two of us. David is currently working on a book with his partner, who you will meet in a few moments as well. But David is working on a book celebrating Judy's last film at MGM, and that is Summerstock, which, of course, I picked as our background for today. David, welcome to the show. And I want to begin by asking you, what does Judy Garland mean to you? Well, Richard, again, you're exactly right. Social media brought us together. And for that, I'm grateful. And it's brought together a lot of us in the, the Judy Garland pantheon. And what does Judy mean? Well, my path to the love of Judy and musicals and the great MGM musicals, we share that as does Tom and probably others on the show. We, were, we saw That's Entertainment in 1974. I was 15 years old. And as we discussed, I'm much older than you. And um, it was transformational. It was the first time that I saw Judy, you know, do... Um, get happy, the snippet and the clips. 
And Tom and I, um, first time we saw a stair dancing on the walls and the ceiling or Gene Kelly on the lamppost. And it was so transformational. And as we know, going back to the 70s, there was these movies on the late, late, late show, but it was nearly impossible to see them in their entirety um, unedited. So Tom and I started this group called Films on Wheels, where we brought the 16 millimeter prints to Minneapolis St. Paul nursing homes. And it was our way of seeing these films in their entirety. Harvey Girls, Words and Music, a lot of obscure things that we hadn't seen. And so by 1978, when we graduated high school, we had this other crazy notion that said, you know, many of the Golden Age stars, unfortunately not Judy, were still with us. They were in their golden years. And Tom and I, using snail mail, wrote letters to Gene Kelly and Fred Astaire, and they actually consented to see us. And that just opened the door and widened our love affair um, with these golden age stars. And in relation, and Tom will talk more about the Summerstock book, it, it is a labor of love. We spent over three years on the book. It's now at our publisher, the University of Mississippi Press. It's scheduled to come out sometime next year. We don't have a date, but our main objective was to dispel a lot of myths and misinformation regarding that film, most notably that the six-month production window all fell at Judy's feet, which I won't go into great detail. You have a lot of great guests, but that is patently untrue. There are I'm going to put you on the spot right now. I want that first interview. You got it. We're, we're there. We're <laughs> you there. all heard it here. Okay, we're on the record. So, yeah, so the book... Um, dispels the rumor. You know, there's so many things, Richard, as you know, that, that, that Get Happy was cut from another film or that they did it three months after they closed down set. All of these things are absolutely fabricated and not true. And um, we've done a lot of digging, a lot of research. We were fortunate that we had primary interviews with Gene Kelly, Chuck Walters, the director, Harry Warren, the songwriter, Eddie Bracken, Carlton Carpenter. Um, so we had that as our basis from our interviews that went back 40 years ago. And we decided Summerstock is a great story. And in addition to being a great story, it's a great, I think it's an entertaining look at how the Dream Factory put together these amazing musicals. Well, I have, there's someone who's watching the show, Warren Kroom. And uh, hello, Warren, and I'm glad you're here. He wrote to me this morning, and he had a question, and I know a lot about the history of, uh, not as much as you do, of course, with Summerstock, but uh, that whole uh, era when MGM was changing and a lot was going on. And Summerstock, of course, I, is one of my favorite films. Uh, I never get tired of watching it. And then there's also that legendary uh, clips of Andy Get Your Gun that we never got the finished film. Why do you think that Andy Get Your Gun never did make it to completion? And yet, you know, with all these things that were happening at this period in her life, that this film was able to get to the point that it did get completed. Well, I think, as you know, with there were a lot of great films that got away for various reasons for Judy, including Annie Get Your Gun, Barclays of Broadway, Royal Wedding, and what have you. I think after she was in Boston and um, got some treatment, they felt that she was able to get back to work. And they had actually had um, hatched the idea of Summerstock probably well about a year before they actually hit the cameras. It went before the cameras in November of 1949. We have clips in 19, late 1948 where they actually announced Summerstock and assigned Judy and Gene to it as early as 1948. So um, it wasn't an easy production. It wasn't an easy shoot for Judy or the other people involved. But you have to understand, and what was going on in Judy's life at that time? I mean, she had a toddler, Liza. Her marriage was really very shaky, to say the least. She had a lot of things happening in her life that made getting to the finish line in Summerstock particularly difficult. But as I said, and it will be in the book, there were a lot of factors well beyond Judy Garland that attributed to it. But I also want to say that the actual shooting days, and we have this in the book, were within the norm of shooting any of these MGM musicals. And we cite examples. 
What was a little longer was the elongated production schedule. And as I said, in the book, it will talk about why it was not just because of Judy's absences. Well, we got to get you back here when the book comes out. Uh, I begin my shows normally with a surprise question. I'll see if we can make it about Judy. Um, and the question is, which I haven't even looked at, it's a good one. Uh, what's your favorite quote? But maybe you have a favorite Judy Garland quote, or maybe you have a favorite line from the movie. Well, you know, and this probably resonated with you, too, when we saw That's Entertainment. And it was what Sinatra said when he was introducing the um, Begin the Begin number with Eleanor Powell and um, Fred Astaire. And he said, you know, you can wait around and hope, but you'll never see the light again. How do you, you know, when you look at the backbone of the musical genre was Judy Garland, Fred Astaire and Gene Kelly. And after Judy left MGM in 1950. Um, the whole dynamic of the musical changed. Now, they made some outstanding films beyond 1950, no question. But the dynamic look and feel when Judy left this uh, is palpable. It's it's very noticeable. And Summerstock is actually one of the later great tap dance musicals. The You know, the Portland Fancy, which Judy and Gene does, and Gene's Dig for Your Dinner and his squeaky board. Yes, there was tap dancing in Singing in the Rain and a few other films in the 50s, but I really, Tom and I really think it's one of the last of the great tap dance music. I, I agree. I totally agree. So I'm going to let you bring on our next guest. So you pick a number one through four. Okay. Uh, let's see. I'll pick um, seven. No, <laughs> um, two. <laughs> Two. Uh, two, and that will be uh, Noel Lesniak, who I also discovered through the internet because her musical director posted about her show on LinkedIn. So this is a shout out to LinkedIn and, of course, a, a tribute to Judy Garland. And I immediately reached out to him to see if he would come on the show since he had done the post. And he said, no. Noelle is the person you need on the show because this is her brainchild. So I'm going to start, Noelle, by asking you, what does Judy Garland mean to you? And welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, well, for me, music was just part of my childhood. There was always musicals on in the background. And I happened to hear her voice and I was really good at mimicking people. And my mom would say, stop mimicking all the time. But I, everybody said, you sound like her. You sound like her. So, you know, it just, that's what made me love her and watch her and listen to her. I mean, just, she was like a booming presence on screen. And you couldn't take your eyes off of her. Well, I will tell everyone, go and look Noelle up because your singing is phenomenal. Uh, I unfortunately wasn't able to get uh, the clips uh, loaded up in time for the show today, but okay. uh, I, I can only imagine what the experiences of seeing your show. Um, and you have been doing this show, uh, Celebrating Judy. How long have you been doing the show? Uh, 12 years. I started, my brother was a pianist uh, as well. So I started with him way back when, and uh, we did all, a lot of clubs and so forth in, in the Chicago area. And then I found Mark Burnell uh, yes. through a friend. Uh, <laughs> and uh, then he's, he just got me going again because I had kind of put it on the back burner. And uh, so we just, uh, we just came back from our show at Onesti's, our Club Arcada in St. Charles in Chicago. Well, good for Mark. Thank you, Mark, for getting her back up there again. Uh, you made another comeback. Right, just <laughs> like Judy. Do. Um, so is there a particular song that you absolutely love singing of Judy's above all others? And if so, uh, why? Oh, there's so many. I love so many of them. Uh, I think what made a huge impact, uh, the last uh, movie that she made, I Could Go On Singing, By Myself, that song. Oh, I loved it when she just walked off the stage and said, take that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Because it was powerful. It was amazing, basically. And do you have a favorite uh, line or a quote of hers or a favorite line from one of her films? It's not from one of her films, but uh, I, it was, um, I can live without money, but I cannot live without love. That's a great quote. 
Yeah. Great quote. Yeah. And she did. She lived, she lived (laughs) without money. That's for sure. Well, uh, thrift, thrift is the word of the day. So, uh, (laughs) and uh, we're going to do a giveaway at the end of the show. So I'm going to let you bring on our next guest and you get to pick a number one through three. Can I say one thing more? Yes, you can say as much as you'd like. Okay. So I always forget to uh, give my husband appreciation. We're almost married 30 years in July. It'll be. So you said it was marriage day. So I'm going to give him a shout out. My husband, Stan Lesniak. And uh, I always forget to acknowledge him. Well, so you didn't today. Right so uh, is he watching? <laughs> uh, he will be. He'll see it. <laughs> good, good, great, great, great. So I'm going to pick number one. Okay. Well, um, David, do you want to tell us a little bit about uh, Tom? And how sure. you- yeah. So Tom is the lucky number one. Tom and I grew up together in St. Paul, Minnesota. And We've known each other and worked together, if you can believe it, since 1974, and that's entertainment when we were both 15 years old. We started the Films on Wheels program in high school. We went on this journey, many journeys to L.A. We've written two books prior to the Summerstock book, and we're friends, collaborators. I'm in Milwaukee. Tom's in Los Angeles. But we pretty much talk every day and collaborate. And uh, we, we've been together longer than Burns and Allen and uh, certainly longer than Dean and Jerry. And it's it's a partnership and a collaboration and a mutual respect and a mutual love for classic movies. And you've been together longer than Judy's marriage is put together. Right. <laughs> <laughs> With all due respect, Judy, uh, she would be the first to laugh at that. Uh, so, uh, I want to ask you, first of all, Tom, what does Judy mean to you? Well, you know, that's a great question. And I mean, she's she's absolutely the bedrock and the linchpin, I think, of, of movie musicals. She had everything. She she could sing, she could dance, and she could bring drama to a song and, and heartfelt emotion to a song like no one else really before or since, possibly. She uh, she was someone that I think, um, and that, this is in the book that Dave and I did too, uh, uh, she was someone that Catherine Hepburn said was one of the greatest actresses she'd ever seen along with Lorette Taylor. And I mean, when you see her sing a song or even in a scene, it is absolutely honest. It's heartfelt. It's emotional. I mean, she was ab- she was just unique. She was absolutely unique. Now, I did listen to an interview that the two of you did about, you've written a book about uh, all these interviews that you two did uh, over the years. And I love the fact that early on, you just went after them with gusto and you got a lot of those interviews. And uh, so, you know, and that's a book that people have to read to learn about the people that you actually got the opportunity to read, both the good, the bad and the ugly which we're not going to go into today because we're celebrating Judy. Uh, but uh, it was a great, great interview that I listened to. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, but I want to ask you, um, what have you learned about each other from the collaborative process? Because collaboration is something that's very important. And you mentioned uh, that you've been together longer than some of these teams, including some of these marriages. Uh, collaboration is very important in this business. What is the secret for you two guys? Well, I, I think Dave and I have always been sort of, we've on, we've been on the same wavelength about what we want to accomplish. And, uh, and we work really well together. We also, we have specific skill sets that, that overlap a little bit, but we each do certain things really well, which is really, really good. And, and also I think that, the great thing about working with Dave all, all these years is that I had a partner who was a really my you know best friend that we were able to share all these interviews together and these experiences. And if either of us, I think, had done it by themselves, by himself, it wouldn't have been as much fun because you wouldn't be able to reminisce about it. You know, so we have so many in jokes. We can complete each other's sentences about all these old interviews we did. And and that's been a really, really wonderful thing about, you know, collaborating with Dave all these years. Yeah. And Richard, we are like George Burns and Gracie Allen. I'm the Jew and he's the Catholic. <laughs> Good for you. Uh, so, Tommy, you get to bring on our next guest, uh, one or two. Uh, three. Okay. 
Well, uh, that's not that, a quiz. What did I blow that? I, <laughs> are, oh, well, you can try again, one or two. <laughs> Meaning one, oh, uh, two. Uh, well, two. And that brings on Stephen Browning. Now, Stephen Browning uh, is a fan of Judy's, uh, and this is Fan Friday. Uh, last week, I had posted about uh, Judy in one of our shows, and Stephen Browning had mentioned that the pivotal moment for him, uh, and you can correct me, Stephen, if I'm wrong, was Judy Garland's Carnegie Hall 1961 album, that that album resonated so deeply with you. And uh, I asked you to come on the show last week, and you were not available. Uh, and he even sponsored last week's show, even though he could not be there. So I applaud you for that, Stephen, and thank, thank you. you. Um, so uh, thank you for that. And, uh, you know, what does Judy mean to you? And obviously that album means, I'm sure I can speak for everybody here, uh, is such an iconic album uh, for all of us. You know, I think there are probably gems of hers on every single album she ever recorded, uh, be it studio or live. Um, I have been a performer on and off throughout my life. And I uh, remember my mother watching uh, Judy's show, uh, I believe on Sunday nights. That's right. Uh, and I was, uh, I think six or seven. And I'm telling you, um, I would sit on that sofa and, and just be mesmerized with the way that she engaged the audience and also her passion and connection with the lyrics and the music and the subtext of the song she was singing. So when I started singing, there were so many times when I remembered her style and how she was able to sort of dig deep in her soul to, to sell a song. And, uh, and, and I, I think that's a, just a very special quality that I think most of any of us who have been singers uh, want to emulate. Is there a particular song that resonates with you more than others that you remember from the TV series, especially? Oh gosh, there were so many gems on that show. I, I mean, I think any any aficionado of Judy's will will say that. Um, you know, when you when you look back at her doing the Battle Hymn of the Republic hmm. uh, after it, it, it is just so overwhelming in in scope that you can watch it a thousand times and still uh and still feel the nuance and and the depth of passion that she, she brought to it but uh you know i i the, the only i was trying to think the only song i've ever done of hers that was uh really signature to her is get happy and and that's just such a fun song to sing uh for for any performer uh, I think David and uh, Tom know a little bit about that number. <laughs> um, I'm going to bring on our next guest, uh, and then we can all have a you know a deeper discussion about Judy and all things Judy. Uh, but do you have a favorite quote or uh, a favorite line from one of her films? No, but one one that that I think is hysterical. You know, she she was a great wit. She was funny beyond all measurement. And, and, and all of her friends will, will say that, all the books that I've read, interviews. But she, there was a concert that, that uh, she, she was looking out and, and, a, and a young girl said something to her. And she said, what, dear, what did you say? And she said, I love you. And she said, well, I love you too. She said, darling, how old are you? And she said, 16, Judy. And Judy said, no one's 16 anymore. <laughs> you know, and I, I just love that because it, it just, uh, it, it says everything about her ability to, uh, uh, and, and, and her, her, her wit and, and insight into uh, people, I think. My, my favorite was uh, Jack Parr told a story that when he went to visit her one day and the moving vans were there, they were taking her furniture away. Do you all know the story? And they were taking all of her furniture away. And uh, the servants of the house were like crying and they were very upset. And uh, one of the maids came out and said, uh, Mr. Parr, uh, what are we going to do? They're taking everything away from her. They've repossessed everything. And he said, then Judy comes down the stairs with his big picture hat on. And uh, he says, Judy, what's happening? And she says, Jack, behind every cloud is another cloud. Let's go eat. 
<laughs> well, I'm going to bring on our next guest. I also discovered him through the internet when I first heard about this documentary. Uh, he has a theater, uh, a marionette theater, uh, and maybe he'll bring Judy on camera with him, I hope. Uh, and uh, he has a marionette theater uh, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And this documentary, uh, you know, just he, him and his mom, there he is, Robert Brock, and you can go, uh, it's on demand, this documentary, and he's been on this show before, you can go and see our interview, uh, but he created this theater out of his love of theater, and he has all these incredible marionettes, including Judy Garland. Is she nearby? There's Dorothy back there. Who looks? Who I modeled after Judy Garland, which was yeah. very difficult. And when I was starting to, she just wasn't looking like Judy. She started to look more like Liza. I thought, well, I'm on the right road. And then I did Liza, and I had the opposite problem. She wasn't looking at all like Liza, but she was looking like Judy. So eventually, <laughs> they all, they all turned out. They all turned out. Richard, I'm so thrilled to be on this to celebrate Judy. Oh my God, I love Judy so much. And to be amongst this, this panel of experts, I can't wait to read the book. I can't wait to see you perform. And Richard, that story in the beginning, I, I was verklempt. I thought I was. <laughs> no, I mean, well, you can imagine how upset I was until oh. I found this under the Christmas tree. I mean, I, don't, I didn't know whether to throttle him or. <laughs> Do you want to hear my Christmas Judy story? Yes, yes of course. Well, first I, I discovered Judy in The Wizard of Oz. And then it was really exciting to finally see it go into color. But it wasn't until one of the restorations that you saw the sepia. But back in the day when there was a TV guide and you would look in the back at the movies, I would always look for Judy Garland movies. And one afternoon, like four o'clock, afternoon the movies after school i could go on singing was aired and oh, that just was it for me the, uh, talk about acting chops i mean that scene with dirk bogart is you know beyond and to see her perform in concert which i had no idea of. and then like you guys that's entertainment and then i discovered all of those films and then would always look through the TV guide and then um, discovering the television show. And it's just, she's like always been with me. Now you said that over the last few weeks that your marionette has been doing some crazy No, things. not the marionette. It's this mannequin, which has her sort of, um, you know, the black and the pearl. That's your Judy mannequin. That's my Judy mannequin. I have to lose about 30 pounds if I'm ever going to get back into that. <laughs> and she just has been like stuff drops and stuff has fallen. And it just is a little, it's, I, I think she's telling me that um, it's time for a comeback. And my favorite Judy Garland line was, um, I couldn't go to the ladies' room without making a comeback. Right. Which right. I, but, uh, you know, through all this COVID and being closed and trying to reinvent yourself virtually, I feel like it's my, it's, I'm in my Judy Garland comeback phase. Well, Judy used to say, she did an interview on the Today Show with Barbara Walters. Uh, with uh, It was when Liza was marrying Peter Allen. And she, when her earring popped off, she said that that was her mom. She said any time that her earring popped off, her mom, she knew that her mom was there uh, scolding her or something along those lines. So we're going to do a little round uh, robin type of uh, thing. I've got these questions. Some of them may be related to Judy. Some may be just for our viewers to get a better uh, sense of who you are. And I'll start with you, David. And what is the highest thing of value that you feel that you have achieved in terms of the work that you've done with Tom? Well, I think just, I, I think it's similar to what, people on the screen and you, Richard, are doing, and that is, you know, keeping the torch and the flame alive of all of these immortal artists. And 
you know, not only the book and, and talking to people, but I, I've been fortunate to teach um, a film class at Marquette University in Milwaukee, which, um, you know, again, black and white films are foreign to them. When I say someone like Judy Garland, they may know her as Dorothy. But if I have 50 students and I have five of them that actually come up to me at one point and say, you know, I think this stuff is pretty cool. Or my grandfather and I watched this film together. I mean, if we can uh, not just educate, but if we can keep this flame alive um, to future generations, I think that's probably the most satisfying thing that all of us collectively are doing. That's wonderful. I want to give a shout out. Uh, one of my favorite actresses is watching the show, and I've had the pleasure of interviewing her live on stage and on this show, and that's Jackie Joseph. And Jackie Joseph is watching the show, and she said that when she was in the Billy Barnes Review, that Judy came and stayed after the show and played with the cast and danced with Ken Berry uh, and just hung out. And she loved being one of the kids, just hanging out with everyone. So that's a nice uh, thing that you shared with us. Um, and, uh, you know, she was she loved being part of the gang. Uh, I have friends who danced with her who said she just loved hanging out with everyone, that she was that type of a person, that she didn't play the airs of being above anyone else. She was one of the kids. So thank you for that, David. Um, and uh, Noelle, uh, have you been... Um, with, when it comes to your work, um, have you been very ambitious or stubborn lately? Mm, I have to say stubborn lately because <laughs> <laughs> it took, uh, it took a, a push to get me back on stage, you know. Uh, uh, but I'm so jealous of these other people that uh, actually met Judy and met people that knew Judy. Oh, oh my gosh, I am so jealous of you people. <laughs> no, no. I, I mean, I wish that I had met her. Uh, I've met Liza and I've met Lorna and uh, Joey, I'm trying to get on the show. And so, Joey, if you're watching today, please come on the show. Um, Tom, uh, do you do things now or later? Well, it depends on what the thing is. Uh, <laughs> I take. I tend to try and get things done as they come. And um, especially with uh, the writing that Dave and I do, there's so much involved with it, research and, and fact checking and, you know, all kind and proofreading and fact checking again that, you know, you just, you really got to nail things as they come in order to just keep pace with, with what you need to do with, with the final product. It just, it sort of never ends, Richard. It's just this kind of revolving loop, but we're used to it after years and years. So that's just yeah. part of the, part of the game. It's great collaboration. Uh, Steven, uh, what are you proud of from the past week since this is the Friday wrap up? Oh, what a question. This has been <laughs> absolute. Well, I have a friend of mine is on a Silver Sea cruise of the British Isles, and he gave me five potato plants to keep alive. They're on my front <laughs> patio. It's 107 degrees today. Oh. <laughs> and four out of five of the plants are still alive. So honest to God, that's my biggest, my biggest deal this week. Well, I'm going to go back to Jackie for just a moment because Jackie is an incredible gardener and she gave us, it's a, a type of a cactus plant that is in Danny's office. Um, and I, you know, she was the original Audrey in the original black and white version of Little Shop of Horrors. So I call this plant Audrey too because it has grown all the way up the wall and is growing across the ceiling of the office because we are just amazed at the life of this plant. So, <laughs> so, um, Robert, what is the one thing about your profession that makes you the angriest and the proudest? The angriest and the proudest. Well, mm. Uh, the angriest is when people make stupid puppeteer jokes. 
and you know think that puppets aren't an art form that that can really piss me off and people will say stupid things to you like one time a woman said oh you're that dumb puppeteer and then denied it and what was the other part which makes me the proud stuff makes me angry what's the other one uh, <laughs> what makes you the proudest yes i think um when you're in that performance and the audience is there and that electricity is flying and uh, you know, you feel like Judy Garland after the show and you can't go to sleep. It, that does. I'm, I'm awfully proud of Marionette land. I'm so proud to be on this show. I'm busting. How's wow. that? That sounds great. Uh, David, what took energy away from you this past week? Well, the fact that I quickly recovered from a cold that wasn't too pleasant. So for a couple of days, that sort of got me down. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think positive energy is something that I think I have. And I mean, I'm of the belief that you never look in the rear view mirror, because if we did, we'd all have regrets. And that's natural that you look in the windshield and look at what's ahead. And I think all of us here with our passions and our interests have a lot to look forward to. And that gives us energy. That stokes us. That gets us ready to get up every morning. That What a great, great answer that is. Uh, Noelle, when were you most and least selfish in your profession? Oh, boy. Uh, most and least selfish. Uh that's a tough one. Um, I guess I was most selfish uh, just recently, just planning this show I was doing because I I put my my needs above everybody else to get it done. Uh, least selfish. Uh, I do a lot for everybody. I take care of my dad uh, for, for last uh, ten years. He had two strokes. Oh wow. So, I make sure that he's well taken care of. So that's my that's my least selfish thing I do. <laughs> so uh Danny, uh, I want to respond to Danny. He says he wants to see your puppet show, Robert. So I'm gonna send him the uh, the link, Danny. I will send you uh, to the documentary so you can see it. The documentary, I hope you all will see the documentary because it's amazing. And we're gonna make sure Yes, Marionette Land is the name of the documentary, so uh, get that. Um, uh, Tom, uh, what initially interested you in this profession? I know you both talked about That's Entertainment. Was that what really started for you? Yeah, it, it started me on the road to entertainment writing, but just, you know, writing in and of itself, I think, started with be, with reading. And I, uh, the only time I was able to stay up past 10 or 11 o'clock when I was seven or eight years old was when we were visiting my grandparents down in Sioux City, Iowa, and I was reading books from my grandpa's library. It was the only way I could stay up late was to read. And I, and I think reading and writing are just intrinsically, absolutely linked. You know, if you're an inveterate, hardcore reader, uh, you know, with some exceptions, I think you you have a really good shot at being a, a good writer or being attracted to writing as a discipline. So that's sort of what started me out, just when uh, trying to stay up all night by reading books. Well, also at the time that that's entertainment came out, there was a nostalgia craze that was sweeping the country, and all these yeah. biographies and all these film books were coming out at the same time. Uh, there were all these book clubs and everything. I mean, I drove my parents crazy with all the books that I was constantly ordering. And I still do that. You should see what my office looks like with all the books that I have here. I just cannot seem to get enough books. No, and I think, true, Richard, building on what you said, too, is I had always had an interest in history. And film history was a natural outgrowth of, you know, American history or world history or history of the West. So it was just a, a real kind of a baby step into uh, entertainment writing and writing about old school stars and interviewing them with Dave. That was always a, a huge interest of mine was the older older school celebrities. I mean, we've interviewed dozens of, of new celebrities and they're just, 
you know, they're just not as interesting as the as the classic old golden age stars were. Why why do you think that is? Either one of you. Well, I you know, I think that they had track records. And when you I mean, take a Judy that we've been talking about. I mean, talk about a triple threat. I mean, that was an era of uh, when a musical star could be top in the box office. And contrast that today. I mean, I always say that a bad James Cagney film is usually pretty good to watch or interesting because of the force and power of these golden age personalities. You take many of today's contemporary stars, give them a bad script, which is pretty common, and mm. it's just unwatchable. You know, take a Jimmy Stewart, you know, uh, take Judy at her, at her poorest musical or a bad Fred Astaire musical. There's always nuggets of gold in all of those films. And, yeah, if, I could and say one, if I could say one thing too, no, building ahead. on what, thank you, is that when we interviewed these older stars, they were, you know, Fred Astaire, James Cagney, Gregory Peck, people like that, Lucy. They were comfortable in their own skin. They saw being interviewed by the press as part of their job. They had been, you know, kind of weaned on the big on the studio system, and that was all part of it. Whereas when we've interviewed younger stars, it's, it's sort of a, there's more of a nonchalance. Maybe it's predestined or, or, you know, they just don't care. A lot of them just want to do it a phoner. They don't want to meet, you know, uh, in person with Gregory Peck. We had tea in his house. I mean, it was just old school. It was genteel. It was really fun. And they were, they were extremely comfortable you know, doing the interviews. They were great. They were hours long with Rod Steiger. We interviewed him for three and a half hours. We finally had to end it because it was getting dark on his terrace in Malibu. We couldn't see him across the patio. So, and who was it that took you out to, uh, they went out to dinner with him after the interview because he wanted to continue talking with you? Who was it? Well, the, the, yeah, the, was, the was it Cagney? Um, when we interviewed him at his home in Coldwater and Beverly Hills, his um, handler or assistant said, um, hey, Jim and his wife love to go to this restaurant called the Ginger Man in Beverly Hills every um, Sunday to hear the Beverly Hills unlisted jazz band, which was George Siegel and Conrad Janis. And would you guys like to come as guests of the Cagneys? So um, we had dinner um, on, as guests of the Cagneys um, at the Ginger Man restaurant, which was at the time owned by a fellow Irish actor and friend of Cagney, um, Carol O'Connor. Oh. That's that's great. That's great. You know, years ago there was a film, and you can all help me out. I can't even remember the name of the film. Uh, and it was supposed to be almost like a sequel to The Graduate with Jennifer Aniston. Do you know which film I'm talking about? Uh, it was What If The Graduate Was a True Story and This Was the Follow Up? And I went to a screening of this film. And there were elements of The Graduate that if this had really been with Shirley MacLaine was in the film as well, Jennifer Aniston, uh, someone out there is going to help me with this. Uh, I can't remember the name of the film. And they did a talk back after the film. And I said, when you look at a film like The Graduate, even though those of us who know it, that uh, Dustin Hoffman and um, I, Oh my, my brain just, I am bankrupt. We're not the original choices for the film. Um, you can't imagine anyone else doing those roles because they are so such iconic. Uh, uh, rumor has it. Thank you so much, Danielle. Rumor has it. But when you look at the casting of this other film, Rumor Has It, any I, I can just about see any performers of the day doing those films. And, right. you know, even with... Judy Garland's films. And, you know, I look at films that are being remade. I welcome remakes or reimaginings of films because I like to see uh, another director's or another actor's interpretation of a role. So I am not a stickler for that can't be touched again. Um, I'm open to all possibilities because art is art. And I think that art is to be looked at in through different generations that's my own take on that. Do any of you have your own opinion of that? I mean, when you look at a film like Singing in the Rain, you can't imagine Singing in the Rain being done today uh, by anyone else. 
but uh, if if you're thinking of it as a reimagining of the film and someone's yeah. going to look at it with fresh eyes or different eyes, I'd be open to that. And then I'll form my own opinions. I think sometimes Richard, that's, that's, you know, that's extremely generous, uh, that viewpoint. I think it's great uh, with me. I think I would tweak that a little bit personally. I, I don't like to see remakes of bona fide classics, like scene for scene remakes of say, Wizard of Oz or Singing in the Rain. To me, it's, you know, why Sound of Music, whatever, why do it? What I love is to see our remakes of things that didn't quite make it, were failed, or like you say, a reimagining of something, maybe a musicalization of a drama. So it's a different genre. That's, I would love, I'm 100% open to that kind of stuff. You know, stuff that Stephen Sondheim did throughout his career. He, uh, you know, Smiles from a Summer Night, he did the, he made mm -hmm. it into Little Night Music, which was a musicalization of uh, the great uh, Ingmar Bergman film. So I love when there, when there's a little twist to that, you know, but a scene for scene remake of a classic, a Casablanca or whatever it is. I just, I don't know. I kind of feel like it's been done. Like a lot of these Judy movies that are classics, what, how, you can't improve on perfection. So, well, Psycho, oh, that's my did you see the remake of Psycho? It was seen for, but it was shot for shot. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> Why? Yeah, Why? I don't yeah. Why? I agree I, with yeah. you, Tom. There was not even any imagining uh, imagination to that. It yeah. was just yeah. to recreate shot for shot the original and in color and it just did yeah. not have the same impact as the original um right. and i want to go, go um it will go around and uh looking back i mean judy garland she has been gone for quite some time but she hasn't because she still is a very much a part of our consciousness um how do you think david that future generations are going to think of Judy Garland. And as we're seeing now today, she's all over the internet. Uh, she is just as vibrant. TCM, I am going to be sitting back tonight watching The Wizard of Oz yet again. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, But how do you think future generations are going to look at Judy Garland? Well, I think the fact that she has left an indelible film legacy puts her in pretty good stead to stay at least in public consciousness, you know, in 10 years, 20 years. I mean, none of us have a, a crystal ball. And I think having that film legacy and to a lesser extent, the recording legacy is what keeps these people vibrant. And in the case of Judy, unlike so many golden age performers, there are people like Noel and so many other wonderful artists that are doing tribute concerts, that are keeping her alive in different formats and keeping her relevant. Here in the Milwaukee right now at the Milwaukee Rep, there is a Judy um, uh, performance going on uh, uh, for a couple of months. So I think those kinds of things are what's gonna keep them relevant, what keep, will keep Judy relevant. And again, there are a lot of comedians, there's a lot of singers, there's a lot of actors, there's a lot of dancers, but there's one Judy Garland, there's one Fred Astaire, there's one Gene Kelly, only a handful of these people in the pantheon that to me will live on forever. And Noel, I wanna ask you, based on, I'm sure you've researched Judy, uh, doing her material and everything, what do you think is the biggest misconception that most people have about Judy, not really knowing her work and her body of worth, as I like to refer to it as? They think that she was a tragic person, but she really wasn't. She had a great life. She she lived the way she wanted to. Uh, she mismanaged her money. That was her biggest issue. But other than that, she had three wonderful children. And I feel that her legacy lives on through them, too. And don't so, you think, Noel, she put her trust in predominantly men who did her no good. And exactly. it was very trusting and that came back to haunt her. That's true. And Tom, what is the biggest takeaway that you are hoping uh, that people will have after they finish reading your book? Well, 
Yeah, I mean, I, 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 that's a good question. I hope the takeaway is that they want to see the film if they haven't seen the movie. We, uh, Savian Glover, the great tap dancer, mm -hmm. uh, wrote the foreword to, uh, to uh, Come On, Get Happy, The Making of Summerstock, the book, and he had never seen it. We sent him uh, a copy of the film, and he was bowled over. He just loved it, and uh, he loved it in every aspect, you know, and, and he was someone that, you know, is a musical star, has won a Tony, uh, you know, for uh, uh, bringing the noise, bringing the funk. And he had never seen it. So kind of what Dave said, too, I think uh, I hope that the, the book will sort of shed a light, you know, on the film, on little known aspects of the film and on and explode a few myths that are kind of hard, you know, hard in leaving and wrong headed myths. So, you know, and and it'll hopefully just make people maybe uh, that want to see the film again maybe look on it with fresh eyes and have a little more, uh, more fun watching it if they've read the book. And Stephen, what is the one movie or television uh, show that she did that you can watch over and over and over again and never get tired of? I, I can watch any of the shows um, that, that she did or of her series, especially they were so special and so, sort of many concerts uh, a lot of times that were just uh, the in, uh, the uh, integrity of them musically and dramatically were, were just overwhelming. But I just saw a clip of her doing uh, What Now My Love on Perry Como's show earlier. Mm -hmm. And I, I love that arrangement so much, but I also just loved seeing her do what was at that time a fairly new a new song and and uh, a different style, and she just nailed it. And and honestly, for any performer of any genre to look at Judy Garland performing is is a lesson in itself. And I I tell anybody I know who's who's still actively performing if they're young, take a look at her tapes now and and start adopting uh, some of the skills that she brought to the stage. Absolutely. And Robert, is there a particular song that every time you hear it just gets you right here? Oh, there's so many. Um, By Myself, I think Noelle mentioned that one. That's a good one. And when she does the work at the piano in Carnegie Hall, when she does the small stuff. And of course, the Torch songs, you know, they're always good for a cry and... And the up ones, you know, bring me up. I can't list just one. I'm sorry. Well, I, you know, my giveaway today, I don't know if you all saw Debbie Wallman on the show the other day, but She's she is going to keep Judy Garland alive. You were asking what's going to keep her alive. Garland. She was oh. on CBS this morning, and I am going to give away uh, a copy of her CD so uh, to a lucky winner. And we're going to see who that lucky winner is right now. And then I will have my final word. And I'm going to give each of you a chance to have your final word uh, today. And uh, Frank Saletti. Oh, Frank. I'm so glad you won, Frank. And I have to, I'm going to share something with you. I'm glad Frank won because that gives me a chance to introduce you to his daughter, Ava. And his daughter, Ava, is just an amazing... Now, this is... I don't have all the photographs loaded up, but this is Ava as a small child. And she's an amazing talent now. But just look at this little girl. Oh! And she, Ava Nicole Francis, is going to be a major, major star. And she is now. So, Frank, I will get that CD to you. She's just absolutely amazing. I am so glad that all of you said yes to being here today. And I am so glad to everyone else that is here as well. Um, again, I chose the word thrift because, you know, we all do this for the love of, of Judy and our love of the arts, our love of theater. Uh, and I, I think I can speak for all of us. We're not becoming millionaires from the work that we're doing here. It's for this love that we do this. And I thank you all for being here. There's nothing thrifty about the fact that you chose to spend an hour with us. 
that is worth all the money in the world to me. Uh, and, uh, and that most of you uh, keep coming back over and over and over again. Um, and I get verklempt even thinking about it. Uh, thank you. I can't thank you enough. And especially as I celebrate Judy uh, with these incredible artists, all of you. Uh, so if this is your first time here, I hope it will not be your last. Uh, please, all of you, uh, even if you've left comments here, leave a comment on YouTube after the show. Because what that does is it raises the level and the ranking of the video. And the more people who leave comments, the more people will see this video. And then you can share this video through YouTube, not through Facebook, through YouTube. And that will also increase the ranking of the video. I also end every show by telling you we want to go out and do something nice for somebody else without expecting anything in return. Go to your Facebook friends list and reach out to the fourth name that pops up and reach out with a phone call. Not an email message, not a text message, not a private inbox message, but a phone call. And let that person know what they mean to you. Because we're all going through, uh, We, you never know what someone else is going through right now. Uh, these are tough times. I had uh, Joanna Gleason on the show a couple of weeks ago. And she said that she ends her shows by telling everyone to reach out with a phone call on a Sunday night. She said she couldn't believe that we, we're on the same wavelength. But I say every day is Sunday night with me uh, because you never know. When, I got a phone call from someone today uh, that I had not spoken to in ages. That phone call lifted me so much. Uh, just the fact that she just took the time to call out of the blue to say, hello, I'm thinking of you. And uh, as I said, we're all in this together, but we're not in the same boat. And I always say, if you're going to go out in a boat, make sure you bring a skipper along. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pick you, Stephen, to have the next final word. And then you will pick the next person. And that person will pick the next person and so on until there is none. And the last person will pick the final person. Uh, and I think what I will do today is I will leave everybody with just a final glimpse uh, of Debbie Wildman once again, because her voice is so glorious. I'm only allowed to leave 30 seconds of her voice because we want you to buy the CD. Uh, so anyway, uh, that's how we'll end the show today. Uh, and when the final person is on, just say goodbye and we'll leave with a little bit of Debbie. Okay, so uh, Stephen, it's all yours. Uh, it was a, just a pleasure to be here, and I thank you all for uh, uh, the collaboration and the invite, and it was just a total joy. Noelle? Thank you for having me on the show. It was good to meet all of you and learn of your projects. I'll certainly check them out, and uh, I'm going to pick David. Thanks, Noelle, and thank you, Richard, and everyone else today on this call. I'm, I'm a proud Minnesotan and especially proud today. Happy birthday to Judy Garland and God bless her. Tom. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. And thank you, Richard. It was wonderful. It was so much fun being on with all of you guys. You're all great. Happy birthday, Judy. And to all of you out there, listen to Judy. Watch Judy. She's the greatest. Robert. Thank you so much. Richard, you you have helped me so much through this pandemic. I'm, I'm thrilled and honored beyond belief that I was part of this Judy Garland celebration. No one means more to me than Judy. I have a quick story to share. This is my Aunt Dottie, who, oh, let me get it right, who I what looked amazingly like Judy Garland. Oh, come on, let me. And in my imagination, I pretended she was Judy Garland. So that makes Liza my cousin. And you wonder why I need therapy? Oh, hello. And welcome to a song today. Orville's father has given me this wonderful tractor. But I'm going to pay for it. And I'll work my debts off, too. Or I'm not a Falbury. But not today. I'm not going to work today. Today's my birthday. <laughs> so, uh, well, I'm just going to have fun driving this 
wonderful tractor. Howdy, neighbor. soon be fields of clover yes indeed and plant a wish with every seed and by and by the sun and rain will make an etching of a million little green fingers stretching to the sky howdy neighbor happy harvest get your rocking chairs for all your cares are over Clap your hands and lick your chops. Your bumper crops are on the climb. Hey, we're gonna roll in plenty. Spend a five or ten or twenty. And those happy harvest bells are gonna chime. Remember, neighbor, when you work for Mother Nature, you get paid by Father Time. Chicks are gonna and every burlap sack will be full of taters and tobaccos and dozens of different good and healthy greens. And if the weatherman won't upset us, mister, you can bet us there'll be lots of crispy lettuce in your jeans. Give in to life and find out just what living means. Hey, neighbor! May your 40 acres soon be fields of clover. Go on, pop your corncob pipes and no more gripes and no more groans. No mortgages or loans and you won't see a trace of worrying on the face of Farmer Jones. Howdy neighbor! Howdy neighbor! Howdy harvest! Chops your bumper crops are on the climb. Hey, we're gonna roll in plenty. Spend a five or ten or twenty. And those happy harvest bells are gonna chime. Remember, neighbor, when you work for Mother Nature, you get paid by.